Well, hello and welcome to Paul Martin's Audiobooks and Ideas. My podcast today is about celibate clergy. All throughout the Catholic Church, the vast majority of Catholics belong to the Latin Rite. And with very few exceptions, every one of their priests is a celibate single man. In the hundreds of millions of Eastern Orthodox Christians, they allow priests to be married. But once they make the decision to be married or single, they have to stick with that for the rest of their life or be defrocked from the ministry. And the Orthodox Church does not allow their bishops to be married. The Catholic Church does allow its deacons to be married, but if they get widowed, they're not allowed to get married again. In the Protestant churches, however, there are no such restrictions on people in ministry getting married. In fact, being married is encouraged for two reasons, two main reasons. The first reason is that it's a strength against temptation from falling into lust and sin. The second reason is it helps these pastors to understand women and children better if they have a family of their own. But I forgot to say the main reason is what the Bible teaches. So out of Catholics, Orthodox and Protestants, who's doing the right thing? Who's following what the Bible teaches? Who's following common sense? Are Catholic and Orthodox churches better off for having so much celibacy in their ministry? Well, we're going to have a look at it. We find in the scripture that Jesus was celibate. We also read that Paul the Apostle had a unique gifting of celibacy in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. And he wished all men could be like that, but he acknowledged that they weren't. And in 1 Corinthians 7, he advised against marriage because of a present distress going on. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 and 31. He wasn't giving a advice for all times. He was saying in the present circumstances they were in, it was better not to marry. And he was giving his own personal advice, not the commands of God, as he says in that very chapter. But in other parts of scripture, he advised people to get married. And even at the very start, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, he says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, Paul the Apostle says, So I advise young widows to marry and have children. And Paul the Apostle, even though he was a celibate apostle, he still had the right to be married 
just as most of the apostles were. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, Paul says, Have I not the right to take along a wife who is a believer, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? That's Peter. So Peter, whom Catholics tell us was the first pope, and whom Orthodox Christians regard as a bishop of Rome, he was married, and we even read about his mother-in-law in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, and Luke chapter 4, verses 38 and 40. In my previous podcast, just before this, I also looked at marriage and divorce and the idea of celibacy in Catholicism, and I debunked it. But in this one, I'm going to look more specifically at bishops, elders, and deacons, because that is what the Catholic Church claims is their hierarchy and must be celibate. And it's what the Eastern Orthodox Church claims their bishops must be celibate. So we will look at what the scripture says. Bishop comes from the Greek word episkopos. That's where the word episcopalian comes from because that's an Anglican denomination that has uh, bishops. It just means overseer. In the Presbyterian Church, they have a moderator who is an overseer who has the role of a bishop. In the Anglican Church, they have bishops with the name bishops, and many denominations have it, or just a senior pastor. But essentially, it's the role of being the main overseer in a particular church or area. <clears throat> so what does the Bible tell us about bishops? 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm reading from the Catholic Bible, the New Community Bible, it says, if someone aspires to the office of bishop, he is without a doubt looking for a noble task. It is necessary that the bishop be beyond reproach, the husband of but one wife, responsible, judicious, of good manners, hospitable, and skillful in teaching. He must not be addicted to wine, not quarrelsome, but gentle and peaceful, and not a lover of money. He must be a man whose household is well managed, with obedient and well-mannered children. If he does not know how to manage his own house, how can he take care of the assembly of God? Now, here we see that what is he, it is necessary or must be, in some translations, the husband of one wife. And if he's going to be the husband of one wife, he's also going to be someone who has children. Because verse 4 says, he must be a man whose household is well managed with obedient and well mannered children. And that is not talking about spiritual children. That's talking about his physical, literal children. Because verse 5 says, 
If he does not know how to manage his own house, how can he take care of the assembly or church of God? So one of the requirements for a bishop was he had to be married and he had to have children. And he had to have children that were obedient and well-behaved, among other requirements. And this is describing a man who is married and who is having sex with his wife and producing children. So the Eastern Orthodox view that if a bishop is married, he has to be celibate, he has to have a sexless marriage. Or in the Catholic Church, if a bishop gets married, he gets booted out of the ministry or becomes laicized and has to step down is not supported by that. Now we read about presbyters. Who are presbyters? It comes from the Greek word presbyteros. The word presbyterian comes from that because the Presbyterian church puts a big emphasis on elders and doesn't mean priests. Well, it's true that the English word priest is derived from presbyter, but that's wagging the dog with the tail. That's because the Catholic Church read this scripture on elders and applied it for priests. But the term presbyter actually just means elder. The word for priest in the Greek is yerus, and that's used in passages such as Hebrews 10.21, talking about the Old Testament priests. The Greek word presbyteros means elder. <clears throat> now, are priests meant to be celibate? Titus chapter 1 verses 5 to 8, talks about presbyters or elders and bishops. I left you in Crete because I wanted you to set right what was defective and appoint elders in every town in the way I directed you. So this is a Catholic Bible and it again translates it as elders, but I'll read on to appoint elders in every town in the way I directed you. They must be blameless, married only once, whose children are believers and not open to the charge of being immoral and rebellious. For a bishop, as the steward of God's household, must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not over fond of wine, not violent, and not pursuing unjust gain. On the contrary, he must be hospitable, a lover of what is good, wise, upright, devout, and self-controlled. He must hold fast to the message of faith, just as it has been taught, so that in his turn he can teach sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So here the term... Elder is also applied to a bishop as if it's one and the same. So the Catholic idea of these things being separated is not very well supported. And even if they are different roles in both of these passages, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, 
verses 5 and 6, it says that elders were to be the husband of one wife whose children are believers and not open to the charge of being immoral or rebellious. Now, when I quoted Titus chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 to a Catholic who was arguing with me, he quoted the passage, Titus chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, and said, this isn't talking about priests or presbyters. And I said, no, but I was quoting Titus chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. But he ignored it and changed the topic to something else. I also quoted about bishops in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 5 to an Eastern Orthodox Christian and he ridiculed me, put the laughing emoticon on and said, that's talking about presbyters. But I said, no, I've gone to the Greek interlinear and I even showed him links online that the Greek word there was episkopos for bishops, not presbyteros. But he uh, stood by his guns and wouldn't back down, even though the Greek debunks what he was saying. Now, what about deacons? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 and onwards to 13 says, The deacons likewise must be respectable and sincere men, moderate in drinking wine, not greedy for money, men who keep the mystery of faith with a clear conscience, let them be first tried, and if found blameless, be accepted as deacons. In the same way, the women must be dignified, not given to gossip, but temperate and trustworthy. A deacon must be husband of only one wife, and must know how to guide his children and manage his household. Those who serve well as deacons will earn a high standing and an authority to speak in matters concerning faith in Christ Jesus. So what we see in these scriptures is that bishops, elders or overseers and elders and deacons were to be married with a wife and to have obedient children. And the way they managed their own physical family was seen as the, as the litmus test to determine whether or not they were worthy to serve the church. If they couldn't be good, responsible family men, they couldn't run God's church. Now, the ministries are, the bishop is that of an overseer, that's a high authority, whether it's a senior pastor, a moderator or a bishop in different Protestant denominations, that's essentially what the role is. The role of elder is a pastor and his elders who run the church and they're meant to be responsible family men, gentle, kind, biblically believing men, not bullies not flirts with the ladies, not uh, people that will bring the ministry into disrepute. And the role of deacon is a caring ministry of helping the needy and doing pastoral visits and other things. 
And not only was the role of deacon for men, but it was for women as well. In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, it says, I recommend to you our sister Phoebe, deaconess of the church in Sancria. Now, Catholics say to me, husband of one wife is a ban on polygamy. Well, they're correct. It is a ban on polygamy, but it also shows that they're still to be married and that the reason why they're married is to test their abilities to do ministry with the church if they can minister to their own family well. And we notice from this passage is that they had to have a wife and children and running their household was seen as a test of their competence of church leadership. And there was a preference for married family men. And there's no mention of celibacy or restrictions on marriage. And the same letter, 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 4, calls the forbidding of marriage a doctrine of demons. Now, while Catholics do not forbid marriage as a whole, they do for priests, bishops and widowed deacons. And that runs contrary to 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul the Apostle says he had the right to take a wife. And women were in the office of deaconess. The early church had deaconesses and church hierarchy eventually banned them. So the church hierarchy went against what the scripture says. Now, there is a main objection that Catholics make. They say, well, how does this apply to Paul the Apostle? who was not married. And the answer is that Paul the Apostle was a travelling apostle. He wasn't a bishop or an elder or a deacon. Secondly, he was divinely called by God, specifically as an apostle. So what they're saying, and he was the very one who outlined that those leading the church were to be married men. Now, some Catholics have challenged me on this passage and they've said, okay, What if he's widowed and no longer has a wife? Or what if he only has one child, not children, plural? Can we be flexible with the passage? Well, it's possible. But see, that leaves open only two interpretations. Either it is an absolute rule that a bishop, uh, elder or deacon must be married and have children that are obedient, or... It's mostly the requirement and occasionally they allow some exceptions like a man that's widowed but everyone knew he was very good to his wife or someone who has one child but they're a very good parent with that one child. And I'm inclined to think, yes, it could allow exceptions like that. But what the Catholic Church tries to do is to change the whole passage to go from husband of one wife to husband of no wife. It's kind of like we say, okay, maybe it doesn't mean in every single passage uh, that they have to be married with children. And then the Catholic will jump in and say, okay, then let's make it that they should never, ever be allowed to have a wife and children. And that is to completely change the meaning of the text. But it leaves us to ask, well, where did all this come in? 
And the answer is these ridiculous draconian rules crept into the church over the centuries. The very first church did what Paul the Apostle said, and then bit by bit they <coughs> started to change things. The Catholic Catechism says about deacons, they can be married men in paragraphs 1571 and 1580, but a man who receives holy orders can no longer marry in paragraph 1580. So a married man can become a deacon, but if widowed, he can never remarry or he loses his position as a deacon. Priests, priests and bishops. In paragraph 1579, it says that priests and bishops of the Latin rite must be celibate men of faith who live a celibate life and who intend to remain celibate for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Paragraph 1580 says Eastern Rite priests can marry, bishops cannot. Once widowed, they cannot remarry. And paragraph 1579 of the Catechism says the priests or bishops must accept their celibacy, quote, accepted with a joyous heart, celibacy radiantly proclaims the reign of God, end quote. And it didn't come from the Bible, this. It came from extremist heresies from the church fathers and these other wretched dubious sources that Catholics and Eastern Orthodox people base their beliefs on and one such man was Oregon. Oregon lived about 235 AD. He's one of the church fathers that they revere. He believed in reincarnation and in his homilies on Luke 17, he said, not fornication only, but even marriages make us unfit for ecclesiastical honours. For neither a bishop, nor a presbyter, nor a deacon, nor a widow is able to be twice married. So he took a very, very extreme view. And it says, if a man in the Shepherd of Hermes, uh, book 2, chapter 4, verse 1, that was in the late 1st century, early 2nd century, if a man's wife commits adultery, the husband should divorce her and remain single. And we see that all throughout <coughs> Catholic history, they've given unbridled power to the heads of, to the bishops and to the heads of monasteries and nunneries. And they've had rules of poverty, chastity and obedience. <clears throat> but there are many abuses of power. And the great English Catholic baron, John Dalberg Acton, he lived from 1834 to 1902, said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. End quote. But we have to still ask our ourselves the question, where did these bizarre rules come from? 
in the in the Bible, in Genesis 2, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. But in the ancient Greco-Roman world, things were a bit different. So Christianity came out of the Jewish world, where God created the material world in Genesis 1 and 2. God said it's not good for man to be alone, Genesis 2.18. But there were many popular beliefs around the Greco-Roman world where Christianity was born. One of them was the Gnostics. They said the material world is evil or irrelevant and only the spiritual realm is good. So things like food and sex are inherently sinful. The, there was the Stoics. The Stoics were people who emphasised a Spartan, austere lifestyle where virtue is more important than material comforts. And asceticism was promoted by Greek philosophers such as Diogenes, he lived about 323 BC, and Socrates, who lived about 399 BC, and others. <clears throat> and religious cults like the Vestal Virgins. The Vestal Virgins existed from roughly 717 BC to about 382 AD and they were girls who beginning at the ages of 6 to 10 made a 30 year commitment to celibacy. So while the Romans were a very immoral people and often had free sex and Roman men cheated on their wives and marriage was not for love it was for political alliances they liked having this group of celibate people <clears throat> up there on a pedestal living a celibate life on their behalf and having philosophers and other thinkers who were living an austere ascetic lifestyle while the rest of them were immoral. And then there were early church fathers who promoted asceticism and that includes Ignatius, Oregon, Augustine, Justin Martyr. Some of them were quite early, but that doesn't mean they had authority over the scripture. Catholics will often say celibacy is a discipline, not a dogma. Well, neither a discipline nor a dogma is acceptable if it contradicts scripture. And 1 Timothy 3 says that a bishop was to be the husband of one wife. So how in the heck can they say that 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 should therefore be applied, all because it's a, in quotes, discipline. If it contradicts scripture, we can't have it. And then an Eastern Orthodox man quoted to me the canons of the Twelve Apostles, and he claims that these were written by the Twelve Apostles. Well, the Catholic Encyclopedia itself says that these things were, these canons were written no earlier than the 4th century, so 300 years after the time of Jesus. So 300 years after living in the Greco-Roman world and being influenced by it is hardly an authentic reflection of the apostles who said a bishop was to be the husband of one wife. But even in there, in Canon 5, it says, let not a bishop, presbyter or deacon put away his wife 
under pretense of religion, but if he put her away, let him be excommunicated, and if he persists, let him be deposed. And the Catholic Church almost managed to uh, heal their rift with the Orthodox churches in 1445, in which they, at the Council of Florence, but they demanded Eastern Orthodox priests that were married had to cease having sex with their own wives. And the reunion, needless to say, failed. I don't blame them. But I still say it's hypocritical because the Orthodox Church uh, doesn't allow their bishops to marry. And so this is one of the reasons why I turned my back on Catholicism because when I look at the Protestant churches, their own church leaders are following the Bible. The Catholics are not. Thank you for listening.